Uh, number one rule, never give someone a microphone you don't trust, and now I know. Well, how are you? I love those moments. Um, man, it, it, and, and none of you who do not have children yet should, shouldn't, shouldn't feel disconnected for what's happening. I mean, this, if God willing, is in your future, or if that's what you want, and just know that just like today, you have a lot of family and you have a lot of friends in a church body that is behind you. But all of you whose children are grown and they've, they've left the home and they've made their own lives. And um, just to remember these moments that God uh, had given us in this life, what a gift we have in this life that we get to experience these things. Sometimes my wife and I, as kids are getting older, we just look back and we're just like oh remember when they were so you know up here the parents are just freaking out like hold still hold still but we sometimes as parents don't you just like man i would give anything for those days back it's a gift god has given us um in our families and so let's pray god we love you we thank you for today as we read your word in luke chapter 10 god i ask that today maybe of all sundays that every ear be open, every eye see, God, because of the value and the importance of this message, God, of this section that Jesus is encouraging and, and instructing, God, that it's so vital for the kingdom. And God, the, no matter what it looks like on the outside of these church walls in the world, God, no matter what it looks like where we may feel crushed and overwhelmed, we do not we do not, we are not crushed, we are not overwhelmed, God, but we rise in victory because of your name. And so, God, I ask that today, as we read your word and encouragement, that none of us leave today thinking the same way we thought about reaching the lost. And God, I just ask that you supernaturally, and that's what it takes to empower us to reach the world. And so, God, we love you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. In Luke chapter 10, if you've not been with us, I know some of you obviously have not, but you will not feel like you're left behind here. This is very specific to the body of Christ. If you go to church, if you're part of the church, if you even profess that you're a Christian, this is very relatable to you right where you're at right now. Jesus is right now in the final, the final throes, I think, of his ministry, six months left. And Christ will be on the cross. So this is a kind of not so uh, desirable. Jesus is going to build his community for Christ there. And we're going to see that movement happen. So time's running out. He's just sent in the last chapter, the, la the last chapter or two, the 12 out to go and minister. So he empowers them. And he's like, okay, guys, now you're going to go. And they go, and they come back and have these amazing stories. And, but there's been this group this whole time following him, and we would call them the 70 or the 72, addition to the disciples who have just been spectating. They've been watching. Now, they serve certain purposes. They, they help support the ministry, or they'll help you know, care for people in the ministry. I'm sure they're orchestrating things, but their call is now very different. Now the spectators are asked, dare I say, mandated to participate. And this is where the moment of truth happens. 
where Jesus calls them from spectators to participators in furthering the kingdom. He does not have time to waste. The clock is running out. The time is now. And so I look here and I think, man, what can I ask myself when I read scripture? It's always a good thing to do is to say, what, what, what is this speaking to me? And the question I think is speaking to me, and maybe I can ask you, is, is will we be spectators or participants of the kingdom? Will we stand and watch and go, amen, that's good, not me, but good for you? Or will we be in on what the kingdom is doing in its movement? I think a lot of people, unfortunately, maybe not you, but people think that the job of reaching the lost would be the pastor's job. Well, that's what you do, Ryan, right? That's what, that's, you're, you're uh, a quote-unquote expert in this area. You need to go do that. So when we're reaching somebody, you have these answers I don't have. You need to go. But I have very, very, very bad news for you. That is not in my biblical job description. I know you're shocked. <laughs> my job, any pastor's job, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is every Sunday to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. When you come in and you think you can't, my job is to help you realize you can. My job is to teach you the very best way I can scripture that will the, the spirit will most likely enlighten you to a realization to go. My, that's my job. I don't spend my nights wandering up and down the street trying to save lost people. I don't. I am always working towards that, not the street, but I'm working towards that in every moment, thinking of lost people. That's just my, my requirement and mandate as a Christian. My job as a pastor is not to be the first and foremost expert on reaching the lost. It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I wouldn't say anything that I don't do, though. I'm not up here saying something that I don't myself practice, so I want you to sit easy in that. I do consciously seek to reach the lost and desire to do that. I was thinking about my son Jackson. We just got a basketball hoop at our house, and he's practicing his form, and basketball and form, if you've ever played, you know it's the most important thing is that your form is right first before you even do anything else. And he was doing this shot, where he would go up, but he would put his stabilizing hand straight down when he shot. So it was the weirdest looking shot. He would go up and then he put this hand straight down. I'm like, what are you doing? That's weird. So I sat in a chair and I stopped him over and over. I was like, you gotta leave that thumb at your nose. You cannot do that. And I'm working on the form. And here's what he said to me. But I make them when I do it the other way. And I said, you won't for long. You will not make it for long. And you will develop a habit that will actually hurt you in the long run. Do not do this. Work on this form. So we spent a long time, which he loved his dad coaching him um, <laughs> against his will. But that's my job as a pastor. Is Every Sunday we're sharpening the form. You may have layups down, but maybe you haven't worked up on good post moves yet. That's my job. That's what I do. We, as Christians, reach the loss. We are mandated to reach the lost. We are not called to be spectators. When I think about clergy, you don't know this, but there's about 458,000 clergymen, women in the United States. That's including in the military, in the prisons, 
every single church in the United States. Do you know what that means? If we just relied on the clergy to do that, it would be one person for every 800 people that we would have to reach. One person for every 800 people. Now, you probably don't know of this, but on Super Bowl Sunday, today, there's expected to be 117 million people watching the game today. But in a very conservative number, there are 118 million people who attend church weekly in the United States. Do you know what that means? If we get the mentality that someone else will go and do it, and we put ourselves into the game, then that means instead of 1 to 800, it would be 1 to 2.79 people. Now that is a huge game changer. That is doable to reach and spread the gospel to the lost, but we cannot spectate. And I fear that there's a lot of people spectating Christianity and not engaging in it. You know, when I think about the Super Bowl today, think about it in itself when we talk about spectating. There are going to be players. We could probably relate this to church very well in Christian culture. There are players who are playing. There are coaches who are coaching. There are uh, you know, people on the sidelines. And those people are very engaged in what's happening in that game. And then there are the analysts who used to play but don't play so much anymore because back in their youth is when they did that. And they don't do that so much anymore, but they have that passion and the zeal and the youth. Do you get where I'm going with this? They have testimonies of when they used to reach the lost, but that was when they were young and now they're mature Christians and now they just commentate on it. And then you have the spectators, the guy who's at home who's pacing back and forth, or girl, I don't know, pacing back and forth at the TV and just being like, can you believe that I would have caught that? And I'm like, no, you never played football before. (laughs) You don't even know the game. It's hilarious to me. And I find myself doing that in basketball when I watch games. I'm like, oh, you're flopped. I'm like, would I flop if Shaq came at me? Yes, I would. Would I, would, would I slide if a 300-pounder uh, defensive line came at me? Yes, I would. But we can comment from afar but unless we're in the game. And Jesus is calling these people to the game. He's saying, no longer watching. You need to participate in. And if you think that clergy, now this is the problem, if you think that clergy is going to handle it or professional people at church are going to handle it, I have really bad news for you. Is that just as of November 2021, of polled by Barna Studies, which is very reliable, one-third of all pastors are considering leaving ministry. Do you know how many people that is? One-third of my profession want to leave. So you cannot rely on the pastors to do this. This is a church community effort. It's the only way it will get done. It's the only way. We can't treat the kingdom like we do the, or the importance of it at least, like we do the Super Bowl. We cannot just watch. We must play, and God's called us to do that. Jesus says the kingdom is one of participants, not spectators. You must engage. Jesus lays out in in chapter 10, this is probably one of the most, I, I would say, preached on sections of scripture about evangelism. Evangelism is kind of a weird word because we hear evangelism, we've got all kinds of definitions for it. But I want to talk to you in the way that Jesus talked about evangelism. He lays out several evangelism principles for all believers. 
I titled this message, No More Spectating. This is the gospel moves with you. Where you move, the gospel moves. The good news moves. Right? God is doing his work on the earth, but you carry the good news through your words, through your care, through your kindness, through your love. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read through, and I'll stop, and then talk about a few things that maybe give you a little bit more insight into the passage. Uh, <clears throat> chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, meaning in addition to the disciples, and sent them ahead of him, two by two, in every town, in a place where he himself was about to go. I don't know how you want to look at it. These are his hype men. I don't know. These are the ones laying the ground before the, the, the company comes in and begins to make its pitches to build their show. I don't know how you want to see it, but they are going ahead to where Jesus is already going. And they are spreading the gospel and teaching the good news. Before it was Jesus would show up, everyone would be awestruck, and he would share the gospel. Now he's sending them out where Jesus is going. This is a little bit more relatable to us. Because he's sending them out, and he's not the one initiating it all. These 72 are preaching the gospel. There's a couple things you can do. If you love numbers in the Bible, there's some interesting numbers. And when you think of the 12 disciples, why did he pick 12? You can go with the 12 tribes of Israel just in this full, full effort to, to really restore Israel. And ultimately, they represent that. The 72 is very interesting if you like numbers. In Genesis, there's two, two kind of debates over this. In Genesis, there is the 70 or 72 nations after Noah that were established. You can read that through the genealogy. That is God is coming to reclaim the world. You can look at it through Moses when he appoints 70 or 72 elders to help manage Israel. I don't know how we would look at it. Scholars don't really know where to land on it. But there's something interesting about this effort that God is making, even numerically, it would make more sense to them than it would us, that God is on the move for the world. Two things we can learn from this, this little section we just read, is mutual encouragement, two by two. We need each other. We need each other to lift each other up. Two by two is for two reasons. One, for a witness. You needed to have somebody who was there with you. Two. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. Right? But also, we need each other to build each other up, to lift each other up and encourage each other. They're witnesses. They're friends. They finally had a breakthrough with, with Bob at work. He asked me about like some specific things about my faith and, 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 and encouragement. We need it. Paul would always send people out, and he himself was a part of two by two, ministering throughout the New Testament. The second thing you can learn from this little section of scripture we read is where, <clears throat> where Jesus is going is most important. Not where you're going. We love to pick what's easy, don't we? Everything is made for us to be more comfortable. Everything, everything is made for it to be more convenient, easier. I love and hate streaming platforms at the same time. Because I forget what it was like to, to, to go to the movie store in, 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 in Blockbuster 
uh, rest in peace, and they go out and then look for the movie, but it was gone because everybody was there, and I'd, I'd be like, hey, we don't have it, and I brought this terrible movie back, and everyone's like, no! Do you remember these times? And, and you had to wait for another episode to come out the following week. I, I, I remember those times. Everything's so convenient, but the gospel cannot be treated this way. It will not be easy for you or for me. So he says that you got to go where Jesus is going. It's not always going to be obvious, and it's not always going to be easy. And where Jesus is sending them right now, it's not obvious, and it's not easy. There's easier places to go. He's sending them to very difficult places. And he's saying, go and share the gospel. I think we have to ask ourselves, where is God leading you? Where's the difficult place he's leading you and sending you? It won't be obvious, but it might have your heart. And he might be leading you somewhere where he has already been prepping the ground, waiting for you to be a part of the harvest. But if you don't go, someone else will go. So don't worry about it. I would worry about it because I want to go. I want to be what, say what Paul said and uh, hear those words from God, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. If you don't go, someone else will go. But why not you go? Let's pick it up in verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is the, I would say, the anchor passage of what we're going to talk about today. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When I was growing up, I remember we had this little apple orchard in our front yard. We lived on a farm, and, and I would go up to the apple orchard. And when they were harvesting, when you could harvest them, it was plentiful. I would take apples, and I would pick them, and I'd bite it, and I'd throw it away. And I'd take another apple. <laughs> we weren't selling them. It was just like, oh, it's going to go to waste. I'm going to buy. It was unbelievable. The harvest was plentiful. Jesus is saying, there are so many people waiting, but I have planted the seed. I'm working on the heart. The Spirit's at work. We just need laborers to go. Will you go? So what we can learn from this is that the crop is now. I think we tend to do this. We can't judge the heart of a person and be like, well, they're almost ready. They're still rough around the edges, but maybe I'll go, maybe when I see a little bit different, you know, sign. And, but God's already preparing their heart. The, the harvest is ready now, and you can't judge someone's heart of where they're at, so you might as well just go. He's been doing the work already. And the second thing we can learn from this very important passage is that clearly God needs laborers. There's not a lot of requests or statements of deficit from God saying the laborers are few. This is one. It's very clear. He doesn't need watchers and he doesn't need talkers. Have you ever been doing something where there's a couple people around, but one person tends to always stand back and watch everybody do the work? He don't need that person. Or the person who talks about doing it, but they never really do it, he doesn't need that person. Or you're lifting something, you're struggling, and then you have to look over like, really? Help me! Like, he doesn't need that person. He doesn't need talkers or watchers. He needs doers. The next part, it goes on to say, is therefore pray earnestly. These are principles that Jesus is teaching about sharing the gospel. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Very interesting way to give a, give a name or a likeness to God. He's the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly 
the Lord of the harvest says, send out laborers into the harvest, into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's a really good sales pitch to go out, isn't it? The first thing we can learn principle is pray, 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 pray to the Lord of the harvest. If there's someone that you are praying or hoping would hear the message or God would open the ears or the hearts there, just pray. If you don't know what else to do, pray. I was telling someone this the other day. If you don't know, just pray. You got that. You don't have the right words to say, just pray. I don't think your words are going to win somebody over. Just pray. And then God will bring you when, 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 uh, when you're ready to go. And the second thing I think that we see here is to pray for more laborers. Please do not pray God sends someone else instead. <laughs> That's not what that means. God, we need laborers, so please send people that way, God. Not me. Them. No, 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 no. Pray that other laborers will join you in the effort with you. Do you guys remember, and some of you may not, but I remember watching the moments of after, after the horrific events of 9-11. And I remember there was 1.8 million tons of debris that fell in those towers and the surrounding area. I remember that they couldn't, they couldn't uh, handle all the volunteers that rushed in. I was reading article after article about this in, in, in the last anniversary, and that union workers would walk off the job and be like, you fire me, fire me, I don't know, I'm going to help. Welders and architect, architects and, and structural engineers and you name it, they came out, concrete experts and 400 dogs were deployed just to go down from all over the country. Largest dog deployment in the history of the United States to find people and to remove debris for months and months and months and months. It was a steady flow. Now there is a crisis that drew laborers. We're in the same crisis. We're, we're in the same crisis. We're not doing it for America. We're doing it for God. We're not doing it for just our fellow citizens because of what happened. We're doing it for God. And so the crisis is great. And when Jesus says, like, hey, the laborers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. We need laborers. That type of response, like we did to 9-11, but to reach people's lives for the gospel. And the last part we learn here is that you're lambs. Not that's offensive. If anybody called me a little lamb, I'd be so upset. I'd be like, <laughs> what? It, it, those are fighting words. It, it, but Jesus uses these words in particular, and I think they're very hopeful for us. Because a lamb is a little bit different than a sheep. Sheep know this. Wolves eat me. Run. Wolves know this. I see lamb. Eat it. Or, or, or sheep. But lambs don't know the wolf exactly. Why did he say lamb? He's saying that there is a world out there that can be deadly, dangerous, especially to these people. 
and maybe around the world today. Persecution, death. There are wolves out there. And I'm sending you out like lambs. Now, it, maybe it's weird. Maybe a wolf sees a lamb running up towards it. It's like, ah, this is weird. This breaks protocol. I don't know. But he's saying, go. You're not, you don't have a religious degree. Still go. You don't have a job that has the title. You, you, don't, you don't have the experience. But you, you, that's why I like lamb here. Is because go. But the difference is between this lamb is what qualifies that lamb and what qualifies you. What qualified David? Was it his expert in leading? Was it his knowledge of how to handle and run a kingdom? Was it his experience? No, what was it? It was his heart and his heart of obedience. That's what qualified David. And so when a lamb faces a wolf, you might as well just say it's just like when David faced Goliath. The, the, the same thing was present then, the spirit of the Lord. And the same challenge was a lamb to a wolf as it is to David and Goliath. You're a lamb. I'm a lamb. But we, obedience is what sets us apart. Let me read this part right here, verse 4. Carry no money bag. Now this is going to be a real problem for everybody. Carry no money bag. No knapsack, which is like a fanny pack that they carried your snacks in for day travel. No extra sandals. And greet no one on the road. Well, that's rude. No, stay focused. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to you. Peace, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. This is really interesting instruction. You're not going to take any money. You're not going to take any plans. You're going right out. Sink or swim. Now, he didn't do this to the disciples. This isn't fair to the 72. These are lambs. But he's sending them out saying, I'm with you. And we have to understand that that's how he is with us. Chapter 9, Chad taught it last week. And the idea of don't look back. You can't possess the kingdom if you're looking back. And so this is that continuation of you just got to go. You cannot look back. You got to trust in God's provision. It's very hard. And for those who love planning, it's a nightmare for you. Those who love planning the itinerary and be like, well, we can get this house and this house. Look at the deals I got. And you print it all out for your family and you show everybody, this is what we're doing. This is like me. I hate that. But God's saying, you got to go. You can't let these things trip you up. You can't let just sitting and doing all of your, and traditionally greeting someone on the road was a bigger deal than just like, hey, what's up? It's not like that. It was a big deal. Don't get distracted. Go and preach the gospel. God's going to work it out. For you who love control and you who love planning, especially when it comes to the gospel, we must learn these words. God's going to work it out. People hate, hate hearing that. Like, what do you mean? He's going to work it out. He's going to work it out. I've only had this a few times in my life where there were massive steps of faith, and I just could only say, God's going to work it out. But he was calling me to something, and I went that way, and he's like, it's gonna, I'm going to work it out. And I'd have to say, he's going to have to make it happen. I can't. And I tell you what, I'm so glad he made it happen and I didn't. And what I became from that. I had to trust him. We have to trust him. 
And the other thing we can learn from this part is you always come in peace. Remember that passage? He said, you got to come speaking peace. You always come at peace. You don't come fighting. You don't come saying, look at you filthy sinners. How ugh, could you? You come in peace. I was looking through sermons on YouTube on this topic. I wanted to hear how other pastors were preaching, and I was so grateful when I scrolled down. There's this church called Westboro Baptist, and I'm not ever about bashing churches. This is one I just don't believe preached the message uh, of the kingdom of love and, and evangelism. And they're the ones who will protest funerals and say everybody's going to hell, and they say very explicit, terrible things. And I was so happy when I scrolled down. I was like, oh, Luke chapter 10. And I saw Westboro Baptist. Luke chapter 10. I was like, mm. And I saw zero views. And I was like, thank God. Because I know what's coming out of that teaching. We come in peace. The world needs peace. Not more hatred. Not more judgment. Peace. We come in peace. Uh, last two sections of, the, of, of, of this uh, chapter. Wherever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Three things we can learn from this is that you are in their space. Jesus is saying, don't conform them to yours. Meaning that, oh, was this meat sacrificed to idols? Ah. I can't have that. This is a really hard moment for these followers to be like, eat what's been set before me. These people are gross. We are not called to conform people in order for them to hear the gospel. So we're comfortable. We are called to go eat what's set before you. Not conform them to yours, but you are a guest in that moment. Seek healing. We are, as believers, we mend, we love, we reconcile. And, and not only that, but the biggest thing is we pray for them. We're bringing healing wherever we can. If they need physical healing, we pray for them. If they need emotional healing, we're in that with them. We're seeking to help them reconcile and receive. And then you share the good news. It awaits an answer. The good news is always waiting for an answer when you deliver it. It's not on you to save somebody. It is not on you to make sure that they believe. It is on them. But it is on us to share the gospel. That it is. But it awaits an answer. And, and, and the ultimate end of the day is, what is the gospel? You're sharing that Christ came, died, resurrected, brought new life, brought you into his family, God's children, to reclaim what was lost, and we ultimately, then we have renewal and forgiveness. And we have a purpose in life. And if you just read the studies right now on purpose and how people are purposeless and lost and depression, anxiety are going through the roof, the world needs purpose and ultimately eternity. That's the gospel. Verse 10. And this should just kind of sit with us for a second when we read it is, but whoever, wherever you enter a town and, you, and they do not receive you, <laughs> this is intense, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe it off against you. Now this is like, you know in a duel when you'd slap someone in the face in the old days and be like, whoa, I guess we're shooting each other. Like this, this is equivalent to the massive insult. 
that we don't even want the, the dust from your town to be attached to us. We leave. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying be rude and offensive. I think he's saying, listen, we're not going to walk out of here all rejected and ashamed of our message. It is what it is. We don't let that stay with us. We just keep moving forward. You made a choice. And he says, nevertheless, know this. This is what they should say. That the kingdom of God has come near. Whether you like it or not, it's here. So you can hide. You can, you can, you can choose. That's fine. But it doesn't stop the reality of the kingdom. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that town. Meaning this is Sodom did not know. This town knew. I don't know what the end of the day's judgment looks like. Only God does. And I don't know what that exactly entails. But when he makes a comparison like this, is that those who knew, knew. They knew the truth. And they chose not to. There's a lot of nuances in there, but there's something very firm. And nevertheless, God's coming. I don't know what that was. And at the end of the day, the last part of this section I want to share is verse 16. If you are worried about rejection, if you are worried about ridicule, and if you are worried about, if, if anything, per persecution, which generally does not happen at the level which we see all around the world, historically, all throughout the centuries and millennia, is persecution. So if that's even the case, just remember this, Jesus says, the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you, they're rejecting me. And the one who rejects me, worse yet, rejects him who sent me. It's not about you. It's not about that, oh, um, you, you have a, a, a relationship with nothing. Okay, oh, that hurts my feelings. Or, I don't, the Bible is blah, blah, blah. Oh, that hurts my feelings. The fact is, it's not about me. This is not my, this is not, a, this is not me. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about God. You're rejecting them. I'm just bringing the message. We get so personally involved in these things where God, Jesus is saying, don't get personally involved. But nevertheless, the kingdom is near and near all of us. Can you guys bow your heads and we'll close? We're, we're being sent out. We're all being sent out. We're all being sent where Jesus is going. And where he's going, with your eyes, you might not like it. But in the spirit world, it's right where you're supposed to be. You cannot judge the harvest. You just follow where Jesus is going. And we're all like lamb, but with a David spirit and heart, which makes all Goliaths removable. Those fears. And we're all unqualified, but qualified by God. We're all lambs, but qualified by God to go. And we all have the same mandate of peace and love. Why work with 1 to 800 when we could work with 1 to 2?
the gospel, the kingdom, would make major moves when we're out sharing and spreading the gospel. How do you spread the gospel, you ask? You can do this in love and prayer. You can do this in aid and help. You can do this in seeing unfortunate people and, and, and rushing to their need. You can do it in an effect of modeling values of the kingdom that someone might be impressed by and ask more. You can actually share with your words about the kingdom. You can start dialogues about people's lives and, and ask about their life and not just have to share about your life. There are so many ways to share the gospel in subtle and in, in, in loud ways. But that's what we need to do. We're all, all called. It's a mandate. We all have the same message, and that message is the kingdom is near. It's near, like Paul says, to every person's almost mouth to the moment when they bend the knee to Christ and say, you are God and I am not. It's that near to everyone. But sometimes it's a nevertheless situation. The kingdom's here. I'm sorry that now, now is not the time. I'm sorry that this isn't the moment for you, but I'm going to pray for you continually. That is the principles of evangelism that Jesus lays out. I want to continue to read the chapter because there's two really good examples of, of individuals who see what the most valuable things is and pursue it, and others who see pain, hurt, need, where they can help or where they can actually bring good news to someone and they turn away because they're busy being good somewhere else and they miss the most important thing. It's worth reading the rest of the chapter. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for uh, all these moments we got to celebrate with our families and these children. And God, I thank you for your word and that Jesus gives us a very clear blueprint about the kingdom, our mission, our actions, and the way we need to see it, God, in this world that needs love and needs faith, needs salvation, individuals, and as a global world, God, need you. Thank you that you are God of love and mercy and grace. Help us take this moment of equipping for, for many and some who needed a re-encouragement, God, to go out like lambs, even when everything looks like a wolf. Because we have that spirit that was in David in a heart of obedience. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this last song?